This is Tops Talk. In this episode, I talk with lead app producer Mike Salerno about what to watch for during the postseason in the Bunt app. And I talk with three minor league ball players about their long roads to the big leagues. This is episode six. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tops Talk, Episode 6, and we thank you for listening in from whenever and wherever you are. I'm your host, Alex Birch. We have a baseball-centric episode for you this week to honor the beginning of the Major League Baseball postseason. And the first games begin October 6th, which, if you are a punctual podcast listener, is tonight. In this episode, I talk with three minor leaguers, Aaron Wilkerson of the Red Sox, Todd Hankins of the Indians, and Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals. The three of them recently finished up their minor league seasons, and two of them, Aaron and Todd, will be heading to the Arizona Fall League, and we hear about their ongoing journeys to the major leagues and the many twists and turns they've encountered along the way. But before we swing it to the interview, I have right in front of me Mike Salerno, also known as Tops Mike in the app community, and he is the lead producer of the Tops Bunt app. And Mike, I know you have lots of things to discuss about what fans should look for since the postseason is underway. That's right, Alex, and uh, thank you for having me on. I'm uh, very excited to get going with the postseason. Uh, We have been working tirelessly day and night for what seems like years at this point. Uh, But it's been a long, long ride this season, and we're excited uh, to really get the postseason going. And in a way, it has been like years. Yeah. For you guys, and you know, so much work has been put into this app, and I know that you know from your perspective, you've seen all of that work. And so, tell me a little bit about how you have seen this app grow. Well, it's so funny to see things that we're doing now and today, and the things that we will be doing, which we'll get into a bit shortly. But uh, when you look at the history of the app and how it's come along, uh, it, it really is fascinating to things that we're doing with certain pack sales and certain card ideas and. Uh, you know, having having a card move on your phone is, is really, we've come a long way, and we've got a long way to go still. And so why don't we go right into then what fans should look for, because the postseason is here, and gosh, it is exciting, and I mean, so many teams are in such great positions to succeed now, and not obviously just because they're in the postseason, but many teams who haven't been there for a long time. I mean, the Toronto Blue Jays, That's for right. instance, it's been a generation Almost. It has, and it's actually it's it couldn't be a better time to be a baseball fan nationally. You've got two teams in New York. You've got Toronto. All of Canada seems to be behind them. St. Louis, Chicago, Los Angeles, Texas. Everybody around the country seems to have something to root for. And in Bunt, uh, there is so many things to play for, like on never before. We're gonna have a postseason base card for twenty players for every team in the playoffs. And all brand new images, a lot of them celebratory in nature. Uh, guys enjoying themselves in the clubhouse after clinching their, their playoff spot and seeing their the fruits of their labor come to fruition. Those base cards will be used with contests for use of prizes, and we have some really, really great stuff. For finishing in first place, which is a month-long contest, you'll take home a Topps baseball jersey, a championship ring, once we get your ring size, a Mike Trout autographed old hickory bat, which is the model that he uses, two tickets to an opening day game of your choice, and a personalized trading card, both digital and physical. We've got the top 100 
fans are going to get walk away with something physical, and we're really, really excited. Wow. I mean, first off, I know how difficult it is to get that Topps jersey because <laughs> you got to be a good ball player to get well, that Topps jersey. about half the team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't address that because I played on that team for That's a, right. for That's a right. tiny bit. But, no, I it, it is a great-looking jersey, and obviously the ring is fantastic, and the bat speaks for itself. But clearly there is a lot of fun incentive in this app that – you know, obviously, in other apps that exist for you know different fantasy purposes, for mm-hmm. instance, such as a FanDuel or a DraftKings, or just even a regular you know Yahoo, ESPN, fantasy sports, this offers something different. And also, yeah. I know that you'd li- also like to talk about how it differs just from the actual gameplay itself, not just the prizes. Well, yes, of course. I mean, we take the trading card collecting industry and we bring it digitally. So you have uh, a community of fans in the app that you can – fans have forged friendships and uh, named children after friends that they've made in Bunt. Uh, I spoke to a fan over the weekend, actually, who left the delivery room to buy packs in Top Bunt. That's a true story. Wow. Uh, so I uh, hope his wife is not listening to this. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> you just put that man out on blast. I will right not there. say his name because I care about him very much. <laughs> But uh, but there there's so many aspects that the, the app is incredibly deep, uh, and there's so many ways to enjoy yourself. If you go to the card store and you could go with your friends or your your brother or sister or your father or whatever, uh, you can collect cards just like we've done as kids. Uh, what we allow that to do now is. When we were kids, we used to go to the library and trade cards and all that stuff. You can trade cards with your phone while you're on the subway to work, uh, anywhere you're going. In the delivery room. In the delivery room, that's right. So uh, there are so many ways to interact with other people that we really is is unseen in our excuse me in our market. So uh, we're really excited about that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I mean, first off, you know, congratulations to whoever. Yes, you that's are, right. Sir. Yes, this. Uh, congratulations, and I hope he or she is very healthy. Um, secondly, for the folks who you know might be a little wary to join this, especially maybe so late in the game. I mean, literally as late as you can be. I mean, it's, it's the postseason. That's right. Try to tell them why they shouldn't worry. Well, I I just told you what first place is going to get, and if I was being honest, I would tell you that I probably have five guys in my head that I know one of them is going to win all that stuff. Uh, but I have in front of me a list of things that literally 100 people will take home prizes from an iPad Pro, other Mike Trout uh, autographed items, tickets to opening day games, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Ty Cobb replica bats from Louisville Slugger. Uh, yeah, there's some cool stuff. Um, S. Preston minimalist uh, art from uh, ballparks around the, uh, around the nation. Uh, so you can get in, and it's basically a clean slate starting on October 6th. So we're really, really excited for people, whether it's been somebody like me who's been around the app for years, or even if you have never downloaded it, you get it today, and you go in, you've got a chance to win something. And of course, it's a it's a, a leaderboard that spans the whole month. But how do you get in? If it's October 15th, and you're like, well, I really don't have a shot at this anymore. Yeah, you're probably right. But alongside with that, what we're going to do is a daily contest where we're giving away 25 Topps Bunt postseason winner t-shirts. All you have to do is win that day. So if you come in to, you know, today, tomorrow, and you really don't have that many cards, if you get a few, maybe you don't win you know, on Friday. Maybe you don't win this weekend. But in two weeks, maybe you, you make a run for the title and you get that t-shirt. So there's a lot of fun things uh, for, for both the veterans and for the rookies. 
And you get to really practice, so then next season, that's right. You can really make your name in this. Absolutely, app and, and it's actually it's yeah. You know, there are fans in the in the app that you know you'll you'll be talking to people and and chatting in the comments, and then somebody will will chime in, and the and it's like an air of prestige around them, like oh my goodness, this person's here now. It's it's really fascinating to see how uh, success in the app follows them a little bit around. You know. Literally, as they have their phone in their pocket. That's right. Good for them. Good for them. So say you convince the person that, okay, they want to do Bunt, even though they haven't done it before. How do they sign up? Well, it's uh, free for download on the App Store or Google Play Store. Uh, And as soon as you get in, we give you a bunch of free coins, free packs, get you going with some really great cards. Uh, And as soon as you're in, you'll see that the contest page is is near the bottom left. Uh, You'll go in, and it's essentially uh, like fantasy baseball in real time. The big difference between us and the Yahoos and ESPNs of the world or the DraftKings and FanDuel is that you set your lineup, and at 105 or whatever time the game starts, you're done. You're just hoping for the best, right? But in Bunt and in all of our apps, Kick and Huddle as well, uh, which you should download for free on the Google Play and App Store, uh, you can... You're your own boss. You are in charge of your lineup until the very end of the game. If Mike Trout is 0 for 3, well, he's a bad example. He's not in the playoffs, but he's a he's a friend of ours, I suppose. <laughs> uh, if uh, <clears throat> if Matt Harvey's on the mound and he's in the first inning and he's pitching, uh, you can put as many Matt Harvey cards in. When he goes into the dugout and out comes Clayton Kershaw, you can put all your Clayton Kershaw cards in. So you can maximize on a minute-to-minute basis how many points you score, and that's how you compete uh, and and win all these great prizes. You really get the the full essence of being a part of a game. Yes. I mean, you can watch it, and the ebb and flow of the game, you can follow that right through your phone and really reap those rewards because of that. That's right. And three guys who completely understand the ebbs and flows of the games are Aaron Wilkerson, Todd Hankins, and Paul DeYoung, three minor leaguers that I was able to speak with right in our offices. They came by for a tour, and they wanted to be a part of the podcast. So, of course, we sat down and opened up some Bowman baseball with them. And I talked to them about their journey to the major leagues, which has not occurred yet, of course, the culmination, that is, getting to the majors. But we talked about the twists and turns and the ebbs and flows along the way. And with me now are three minor leaguers who have already opened their first packs of Bowman Baseball. I didn't even tell them to go, people. They just went right into it. Aaron Wilkerson, a pitcher for the Portland Sea Dogs, and Todd Hankins. An infielder for the Akron Rubber Ducks, Paul DeYoung, third baseman for the Peoria Chiefs. Guys, when you look at at baseball cards, what do you first look at? Paul, we'll start with you. I look and see if it's a hitter or a pitcher. You know, just kind of tell what kind of player it is because you may not know everybody. But I really like the the guys that are hitting because that's what I like to do. So I like to see guys on the card that are hitting. That's fair. And and can you tell when you're looking at a a guy's, let's say, an image of his swing, can you tell that he has a swing that you kind of like? Um, it depends. I mean, sometimes they take pictures when uh, maybe swinging at like a slider in the dirt, but um, you can tell with some <laughs> of the finishes where the guy's looking. Like this one here, I'm looking at Hunter Dozier. Mm. Looks like he's on his finish and he's looking at it. His head's at a good trajectory, so that was maybe a double or a home run. 
and so you can really tell because not a lot of people can you know can look at a swing and and dub it a successful one but but you seem pretty confident that hunter uh found some green or (laughs) or found the other side of the wall yeah uh todd how about you when when you see a a card what, what do you first look at what is your eye first drawn to yeah i mean kind of following up on what Paul said just you know I'm a position player so looking at the cards you know I like to to pick out the position players um but yeah the same thing like I can see um this card of Andre Ethier it's just you can just tell he's in a good position and um you know I love seeing when the guy's in a good position like that it makes it look like he's about to crush the ball um and obviously you can't really tell in in this stage but um on this card right here um, Javier, and who's on that? Javier Scruggs. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like he has a good follow through, and he's just hit a line drive. Because normally, if you're out front or you're not making good contact, you're not going to finish with two hands. And it looks like he just hit a line drive right back up the middle. Speaking about swings and and about uh, the different type of, of tilts of a player's head, or maybe how balanced they look on their back foot. I mean, before we get to Aaron, because Aaron's our our in-house pitcher, so <laughs> so we'll we'll get to him in a second. But guys. What what are your favorite parts of your own swings? Ooh. Yeah, tough one there. <laughs> no, um, for me, I feel like I do get in a good, uh, what my organization would call a launch position, and that's sort of this position that I was just explaining Andre Ethier in. When you get your load and you're getting ready to start your shift back forward to you know approach the ball, I feel like that's one of the strong points in my swing is, is that you know strong position. You want to be have a good balanced position but also have, you know, you know, a good spot to generate some power. So, and the Cleveland Indians, who whose organization Todd is in, they they preach that. Yeah, you know, we have uh, different hitting coaches throughout the minor leagues, um, but we, you know, they tend to try to teach the same things, and um, that's one of the things that we've been working on as we've been coming up is, um, you know, launch position and, and the timing of the shift, and that's sort of just something that everybody um, does differently, but those two components are, you know, in every swing. Mm. And so, Paul, let's go to you. you. You have plenty of time now to think about your favorite part of your swing. Well, I've seen a few pictures of me um, with my back foot in the air and kind of my uh, hands in tight to my body. And you can just tell in that picture that you know that I'm about to hit the ball for a home run or a double in the gap or Your something. back foot. Back foot. Your off, back foot. That's, off the I ground. feel like that's kind of rare. Because I'm thinking front foot because when you think of the big guys like, you know, Bautista, or going back to you know uh, you know Juan Gonzalez, whose front foot there really you know, was raised, but you the back foot for you. I have plenty of pictures I can show you yeah. of me with my back foot off the ground, but you can kind of tell because you really get your whole body into the swing. Sure. The front leg is locked out, and you can tell if your hands are still pretty tight to your body. That's going to be a good swing if it's a good pitch. Yeah, mm-hmm. to add to that, I mean, I actually have that same component as well. Um, and if you watch the swing at full speed, you normally won't pick it up. But if you look at guys like Frank Thomas, mm-hmm. he was one of the biggest ones I ever saw that did it. When he swings, and he has powerful as his swing was, the force that you know is going into the swing is actually so much that his back foot is coming off the ground at contact. And wow. Bryce Harper is another one yeah. that you can see a lot of. He really gets ah. into the ball. It's got to be yeah. Normally most people would wouldn't notice it, you know, just watching from the stands. But when you break down, you know, we watch a lot of video trying to pick out you know different things in our swing and a lot of times you can can see that on a right so hard. the front foot you can keep up before the swing mm-hmm. but once you're through it that back foot yep. you're hoping that it's up because that means you've socked the thing yep. okay that makes a lot of sense and has your swing 
and and your swing, Todd. Have your guys' swings been similar for the majority of your, uh, let's say, not just your professional career, but let's say you know high school career as well? I'd say mine's been pretty simple. I don't have too much, uh, you know, pre-pitch movement. Just kind of like to get in a little rhythm with a little bit of uh, a little bit of bat movement. But uh, really, I just try to be as short and quick as possible and, and let the ball do the work and just, you know, not try to overswing. So really, I just kind of try to simplify as many things as I can. Mm. Yeah, and for me, I mean, my swing has been very similar. I mean, it is still very similar to what it was in college. Um, but obviously, you know, all of the players that are still playing, you know, in minor league baseball um, and in the major leagues were, were good enough to get, you know, to that point. But once you get, you know, into the minors, you have to make adjustments to move up. Um, and so, you know, just making small tweaks and uh, working with, you know, all the different um, hitting coaches in the organizations and learning little things as you go and implementing them into your swing. Um, it's just a long process and everybody I'm sure has, you know, a few things they've they've added and, and maybe taken out. So it's just a ever going process to, to build your swing up. Yeah, and if we're gonna talk about making adjustments, you guys are making adjustments while I'm pointing at Aaron, is trying to counter those adjustments and make his own to make sure that he can get you guys out. So Aaron, when you look at a guy's motion, what are some aspects of that that really stick out to you? Looking at hitters and watching swings, as soon as a hitter makes an adjustment, a pitcher has to make an adjustment. And it's all about learning how to make adjustments quickly and in the spur of the moment to kind of limit damage and control damage. And it's not just you out there, though, obviously. I mean, when, when you're, say, let's say your catcher will see something mm-hmm. a lot as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, essentially, it's up to the pitcher. It's his decision, and, you know, we're obviously going to take our advice to our catcher a lot of times mm-hmm. because he may be seeing something, but if the pitcher's not comfortable throwing it, then, you know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, some days you you just don't have the location of your fastball, and so you're going to probably rely on your breaking stuff right. or, you know, or, ne- or vice versa. You know, breaking stuff just as, as flat as a pancake, and you got to live and die with the fastball <laughs> location. I mean, when I was – I pitched in high school, and I remember the, the whole – ups and downs of the uh, of basically the journey of a game and the journey of even a week I mean one one start is definitely going to not be this the same as the next start as you guys move through the minor leagues I'll I'll stay with Aaron here maybe you haven't had this moment yet but when you have felt that you've very much belong not just in professional baseball but that you know that the show is a reachable you know plateau for you guys I kind of had it this year whenever I got moved up to double A and you know it seems like the major leagues are so far away but in reality it's just right there and uh, I think going out and having a good season in double A and being so close and you know you're only two steps away and you look back and you've already climbed three to four steps to get there and it kind of makes it all kind of sink in and uh you know you start getting a lot more major league rehab guys come down and you start facing better caliber players uh that you're going to face them later on that line and it kind of puts it all in perspective for you who's the biggest name that you've pitched against who's, who's maybe making a rehab assignment <laughs> uh 
Uh, this year, I actually faced Dan Ugla, uh, Justin Murnau, and you know, you gotta treat them like everybody else. Uh, they're up there to do a job, and I have a job to do as well. And uh, pretty good success against them, but you know, at the same time, they had some success against me. But they were a little more obligated to have the success against me. So, mm. so Ty, we'll go to you now about your moment of assuredness that you know that the major leagues is not as far as it once seemed. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> for me. Um, I wasn't necessarily a high-round draft pick. I got drafted in the 15th round in 2011, and, um, you know, I just went out and played hard every day and never really put up uh, super good numbers um, and until last uh, 2000, let's see, 14. Uh, I was in high A and had a, you know, what was my best year and, uh, you know, opened some eyes a little bit, I think, and then uh, the next season breaking camp in double A was a big deal for me um, and then, you know, put out, an even better season that year and uh, played really good defense and um, you know made an, a, the double-a all-star team at the midway point of the season and that was a big deal for me and and kind of just seeing you know the, the the shift in my confidence level just knowing that hey like not only was I you know starting to get better down there at the lower levels but then I you know break through and play in double-a and actually you know put up some decent numbers there as well and uh, you know it's really helped my confidence level going forward knowing that hey you know I really do have a chance, and uh, and it's not that far away. So, and Paul, you have you got a little ways to go, steps wise. But does the when you hear these guys talk about the bigs, and and maybe you've already seen, you've already played with guys who are are on a fast like a like a uber fast track. I mean, the big leagues. That's a reach for you. When did you when did you feel that? If you felt that. I don't think I've felt it yet. That's fine. <laughs> um, I played one summer of uh, pro ball. Uh, I was in rookie ball for 10 games, and then I got moved up. So it was kind of a wild experience to, you know, stay in Johnson City, Tennessee for two weeks, and then I'm I'm out. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I kind of experienced the, the how quick things can turn, and I'm just going to continue to do what I've been doing and just try to play hard every day. And, and if I get moved up, I get moved up, but I, I don't think I've had that moment yet. And like I said, that's fine. I'm sure you will feel it at mm-hmm. some point. I mean, you've had a very, very good year numbers-wise. And what was funny, which was off-camera before we before we started the interview, was that I, I brought up their minor league baseball page, and and I don't know if I've never seen it, but you guys don't like looking at it. And, and, and I wouldn't either when, once I thought about it because, you know, like you guys said, numbers can get in your head. When did you first get told that, that you shouldn't – take a look at, at I think your that's just kind of a baseball thing in general guys that tend to get caught up in the numbers generally um, you know are thinking too much when they're playing and and like Yogi Berra said you can't think and hit at the same time so really I think we just trying to focus on helping the team win and trying to have good at bats will and the stats will take care of themselves I think that's how most baseball players feel Mm. Yeah, I mean they they normally have your stats up on the scoreboard anyway, so you you yeah. see them, you, you, you know you, can't avoid you have a good idea Tron, of what yeah. the of what the numbers are, but um, and it's not that we never look. It's just that if you you know go and open up you know milb.com every game and you're you're you know stressing on those numbers, right. you're going to put a little bit more pressure on yourself. And you know as much as numbers do uh, seem like they matter, from what you know a lot of uh, the organizations tell us is that you know we're not focus solely on the numbers we want to see you develop as a player and whether or not 
that means you go through struggles here and there during the season. You know, we, we know that's part of the, the process is what they say. And so if you're, you know, going online every night panicking because you're only, you know, hitting 200 or whatever it may be, um, that can really be a detriment to your career. So, you know, we, we, we go on there every once in a while and you see it on the scoreboards, but uh, it's just uh, something you don't want to be putting too much emphasis on. Yeah, for sure. But what's funny is that Aaron is the guy who's looking at all these stats. <laughs> he's he's he has to see what you guys do. He has to see how you know how the opponent is, is going to come at him. Is is it going to be a two eighty hitter followed by a you know two sixteen hitter? And clearly, there's a difference between those two kind of guys. So how often are you giving these stats? I mean, obviously, you're giving them probably by either pitching coach or your catcher, right? Right. We get, uh, as pitchers, we go over all the hitters for that series. So we'll have a pitcher's meeting, go through everybody, and not so much as a entire stat, maybe the last 10 games of mm-hmm. what they've been doing. If they're getting on a hot streak, if they're kind of dying down, uh, if they're trying to press to get, get on base, they, you know, they may not have had a hit in the last 10 games and they may be trying to bunt their way on. Uh, just different stuff like that. Uh, definitely helps if you face the team four and kind of recognize faces and again recognize the swings and what kind of player they are and uh you know i don't get caught up in the stats you know it's it's great to look at stats when you're doing well and if if you're not doing well it's the last thing you want to look at sure and you know you start comparing yourself to other people then putting added pressure on you it's not necessary well, we'll shelve the stats talk. You guys are just sweating already when it's talking about stats. <laughs> uh, so we'll do. We'll stop that. You can keep opening cards if, if you'd like. I know I didn't even. I mean, open one yet here. Um, when you guys move throughout the season, is is there a time during the season? Because you've only had one so far in professional baseball, but the two of you is. is have you found that you maybe get a little bit tired at around the same time throughout the year? Yeah, I mean, um, for me, I've noticed it mainly with my legs because um, I'm a, you know, base stealing and base running is a big part of my game. Mm. And so for me, you know, breaking out of spring training, um, you know, you're pretty fresh. You, you spent the off season training, getting ready to be in shape for the season and spring training. Uh, you know, you're only playing half of the, you know, you play a nine inning game against another team and you're only really normally playing five of those innings or four of those innings, depending on if you come in the first half or the second half. So you're not playing, you know, uh, a full game every day in spring training. So you're still pretty fresh. But then uh, during the season, I can't remember, you know, what the exact amount of games it is. But after, you know, the first couple months, your legs def- definitely start to get a little tired and fatigued. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start feeling like you're having to, you know, grind a little bit more out there. Um, but then another thing I notice is that after that happens, you know, for about a month, you kind of get your second win and your body just realizes, hey, like this is a grind. We're playing every day. We've got long bus rides uh, in between series. Um, and it kind of just, <laughs> you know, I feel like it just gets used to the fact that it's going to be tired and, uh, you know the the goal is to make it to the big leagues, and and you got to play play well to, to do that, and uh, and so you kind of just suck it up and, and just go out there and, and uh, play hard, even if you're tired. But there definitely is uh, you know a tiredness factor, um, you know not just with your legs and base running, but also with your swing. You know your bat starts to feel heavier towards the end of the season, and I know some guys, um, myself included, actually towards the end of this year, I started swinging a, a bat that was a half ounce 
uh, lighter than what I was using in the beginning of the season, just to, to you know, have a little bit more bat speed through the zone, and because uh, anything, anything can help. Why don't we go into the most impressive players that you guys have played against so far? Now, again, Paul's not going to have as much material, mm-hmm. but you could. But Paul, why don't you go first? Because you've had the least amount of experience, so I assume that there's just a shorter list to go through in your head. But who is a guy that, when you went up against him on the other side of the on the other side of the field, that you were very impressed with? There was a left-handed pitcher. I can't remember which organization. His name is Justice Sheffield. He was Indians. Old. Indians, it is yeah. Indians. Yeah. <laughs> a, f- a fellow Indian. Yeah. Well, there's a couple guys in the Indians organization then because there was him, Justice Sheffield, a, a left-handed pitcher that mm. really impressed me. He was throwing mid-90s, had wow. control of everything. I think we had one hit through six or seven off of him. Sounds about right. Worked a couple walks. but uh, And there was another guy on that team. What's his name? Bobby Bradley. Bobby Bradley. He's a left-handed hitter. He's real young. I think he's a teenager still, and he had 20 home runs in mm. the Midwest League, which is very rare. So I guess those two guys really stand out. Mm. And what's so great is that is that Todd just when when you said those when you said that first name and the second name, there's just this, this show of pride on his face. Yeah. <laughs> that was you know, hey, that's that's one of our guys. Just happened to be an Indian. <laughs> that's great. That's great. All right, Todd, your turn. Yeah, um, Luis Severino, uh, pitcher in the Yankees organization, who is in the big leagues now, um, faced him a couple times this year and uh, didn't really have any success against him. So he was definitely, in my opinion, the toughest pitcher that I faced this year. And, uh, you know, he's having pretty good success up with the Yankees right now. So Yeah, he, he could very well start a playoff game for them. Oh, yeah. Which is pretty incredible, the fact that you, you were facing off with them not too long ago. Yeah, I mean, that just goes back to, and shows, you know, even though we're two levels away, it seems like it's just, you know, snap of a finger, you're going to be there. So. Yeah, it's a lot about of, of need yeah. as well. Yeah. And so you guys always have to be ready. All right. This is what I'm really waiting for because the pitcher. Todd, surprise, surprise, some more Indian guys coming out. Wow. Uh, I bet you I, can know, I know who it is. Is it a, it's a position player? Yep. Uh, well, of course, is I he, didn't face the pitcher. <laughs> is it Yandy Diaz? No. Nope. All right. Mm. All right. Who is it? Uh, there's actually a few, a few Indians, a few Indians. Whoa! Uh, yeah. well, I don't know if this podcast could be even more <laughs> promoting the Indians than it already is now. It was crazy because I was wow. sitting here and I looked at this uh, Francisco Lindor card, ah, and it has uh, the farm's finest on it, the top five people at farm, and I've not faced Lindor yet. Oh, okay. But the next two are the two that I struggle with, and that's uh, Clint Frazier and Bradley Zimmer, who are mm. upcoming uh, prospects. Two high and, draft picks for them. Yes, and they hit three and four right behind each other. Wow. And if it wasn't three and four, it was two and three. And it was a struggle to get through the first inning of you know the first game <laughs> yeah. you know, without giving up – a double off the wall and everything and it was like no matter how hard you tried what pitch you threw you know they both had great approaches and it was just crazy and it seemed like every time we faced them they just absolutely owned us too so 
Wow. Yeah, well, Fraser's going to be on our team in the fall league, so maybe you can uh, tell him that. Yeah, <laughs> tell him how hard he was tell him yourself. this year. So why don't we talk about the fall league? I mean, that is where two of you will be this fall. And, of course, those are the, the elder statesmen of the three of you, Aaron and Todd. And so, guys, what are you trying to work on? Um, I think uh, the you know one of the main things is just uh, the fall league is um, you know some of the best prospects from each organization, and uh, it's just going to be uh, getting at bats off some really tough pitching. Um, but also you know we are working on a couple things out there. And um, for me, I just want to you know I, I broke my finger um, and missed the last three weeks of the season, mm. um, so I just kind of want to go out there and, and get some more at bats. But also um, I'm going to be going out there you know trying to work on um, putting up consistent at bats and, and getting on base more um yeah that's one of the things that you know in my career i've struggled with just a little bit is uh um for as much speed as i have um i don't walk as much as i'd like to and so i feel like obviously now i've recognized that problem and it needs to be uh you know worked on so that's one of the things out there is uh, i'm just gonna work on going up and, and uh pitch selection is the main thing and i think you know if i can get that um I've got a good shot. So, let's take a, a quick sidestep with that topic, and for the two uh, hitters of, of the three of you, pitch selection and and being more selective in general. I mean that that's a, a theme in baseball, and it has been for the better part of the last decade of just being smarter up at the plate, or you know, patience equals smart up at the plate, which is kind of a misnomer in a way. I mean, you can. Definitely outthink yourself up there. Like you said, you can't hit and think at the same time. So how do you guys find this balance of going up there with a, an approach that, you know, that you obviously have to think about, but that you really have to go up there and react a lot of the time? For me, the number one rule of hitting is get a good pitch to hit. And you talk about patience, but um, a lot of times the best pitch you're going to see in an at-bat could be the first pitch. Exactly. So really I think it's more about selectivity or selectivity. Um, looking for the pitch you want to hit and not just um, you know going up there looking for everything because then you'll find nothing so really I think <laughs> yeah. I really think it's just about getting a good pitch to hit and being ready whenever that is whenever in a bat 3-2 on the 10th pitch of the bat or 0-0 on the first pitch yeah I mean um, I've always been throughout my whole career not just in the minor leagues but I've always been aggressive um, and you know before minor league baseball that aggressiveness you know, paid off for me because, you know, I could hit almost anything a pitcher was throwing to me in high school and, you know, not so much in, in college, but still more than in the minor leagues, more so than in minor leagues. But once you get to the minor leagues, you know, all those pitchers are, you know, similar to you. They're the best players at their schools. Right. And so there's obviously a reason why they're there. They've got good stuff. So if you go up and are swinging at everything um, that's a strike, even if they're strikes, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to hit everything. So, um, I think where, especially as you move up through the minors at the different levels, um, pitchers get smarter and they also just start to have you know better stuff. Um, and just because a pitcher you know is throwing a strike in a certain spot doesn't mean you swing at it every time. Because if you're looking for a fastball, you know middle in, and he throws a fastball outer half, you're not going to be able to put a good swing on that because you're not looking for that zone. So. I think that's one of the main things is just having a plan at the plate, looking for a certain pitch and a location and sticking to that plan. Obviously, with two strikes, you know, you have to protect and your your plan gets a little, um, you know, 
broader and you basically are just trying to you know battle up there but <laughs> that's uh, a good word for it yeah broader aka yeah. let's not strike out yeah mm. yeah so uh no but I, I really think that uh you know having a plan at the plate and knowing what pitch you want to hit is going to help and uh sometimes you're going to take pitches that are strikes and you know you just can't let that affect your uh your approach so Sure, and of course, Aaron is just sitting here listening to all this, trying to soak it in so, you can, get you, in. so you can get you guys out. And well, we hunt your mistake anyway, so <laughs> make very many. <laughs> then you're God, gonna have wa- some success. I want to see this. I want to see this at bat. I want to see Aaron face <laughs> Paul. I really do. Um, so we're we're gonna end this interview with a, a few kind of lighter questions instead of these heady baseball questions. I want to know what is your guys' favorite food that you've had on the road this season. I need to know. I need to know where to go. I want to take a cross-country trip at some point, see a lot of minor league parks. Please tell me where I should go. I'll go first. All right, Paul. Peoria, Illinois, there's this place called the Rhythm Kitchen downtown. It's kind of like a soul food mixed with like a little Medi- or sorry Caribbean mm, flair. Nice. Um, I don't know. It's pretty good. Uh, it's like one of those little dives that you don't find too many of and mm-hmm. not too many people but it's good food and and a good experience great todd what you got so uh i was in the eastern league this year and our longest trip of the season um which was a 14-hour bus ride was Oof. to portland maine <laughs> but um found out that it has some pretty good food up there and uh you know i, I actually went um to portland before we made that trip uh, for the all-star game and one of the cool things that uh, um, we got to do when we were there was they had a classic Maine lobster bake nice. that they threw for all the players and coaches and guests, um, and that was that was really fun. And uh, you know, to be honest, I hadn't had much lobster. I think I had it one time before that, and uh, I didn't really, I couldn't even really remember it. And, and this time was was awesome. Just uh, you know, it's obviously a little messy, and we had to wear the bibs and everything, but. No, it was uh, really That's good. That's the full experience, Yeah, though. for sure. No, really good food. Um, so then we went back um, for the you know regular season series. Uh, we went out to a couple places there and got lobster again. So can't do it too much, though, because it's a little pricey, you know. That's for sure, <laughs> especially if you do a little surf and turf, too. Oh, yeah. That's the priciest, but it's oh, yeah. also the most delicious. <laughs> All right, Aaron, you're up. There's a place in Greenville, South Carolina. Home of the Drive. Home of the Drive. Okay. On the same block, and it is called Liberty Tap Room. Okay. They have some of the most phenomenal chicken fried steak. What about it? Why is it so good? Uh, it's just, it kind of took me back to the southern home, mm. home-cooked meal that, okay. you know, you don't get all the time on the road and beats of peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day. I mean, this is a man who was born in Texas, so I, I trust him. I trust him in this. Um, and finally, because I know ball players love to talk about it, the worst travel day that you guys have had in your career. I, I got one. <laughs> See, look how fast that was. So, <laughs> all right, Todd. We were driving, it was uh, two years ago in the Carolina League, and. We were driving from uh, Carolina, our home field, the Carolina Mudcats, to Wilmington. Mm-hmm. So that's the longest, one of the longest drives we have. I think it's like seven hours. And our bus started to get really hot. Our air, air conditioning had like 
gone out. The bus was really hot, so everybody's like sweating in the back, and I can never sleep on buses in the best of conditions. Um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you started to smell this like just burning smell, like electrical fire or something. Oh, boy. And so the bus driver pulls over on the side of the road and turns the bus off. So at this point, everybody's waking up and what's going on? Oh, great, you know, minor league life. And then, uh, and then he pulls off on an exit ramp and the bus basically broke down. So we were stuck in a McDonald's parking lot for a good two and a half hours nice. at six in the morning. And we didn't get in until, um, I think we got in around nine, nine uh, in the morning in Wilmington and had a game that next day. So During the day, day game? No, uh, I think the game was at seven. So okay. it wasn't a day game, but it was still brutal. So. And this comes from a guy who said they took a 14-hour trip at some point. Well, we so. had an off day. Yeah, that was okay. on an off day. Okay. So those aren't, you know, they're long, but they're at least, you know, you have an off day and you're not having to play the next day so all right all right aaron <laughs> tell me tell me the big one i've actually had that same exact thing happen at in a mcdonald's parking lot <laughs> we actually stopped at mcdonald's and our hotel was about five blocks down we almost made it to the hotel so we ate and then just walked to the hotel uh, but i've also been you know some of the shortest trips are the worst trips really and, uh you know, they put in this new clause that uh, you commute to games mm-hmm. if it's under two hours. Really? So the fact of traveling back and forth four days in a row to play the same team, that you know, you brutal. leave leave uh, your home city at 1 o'clock, get there, go through the whole day of practice, BP, and then the game, have to drive all the way back. You know, it's, I mean, it's only roughly two hours away, but yeah. you know, when you finish the game at eleven o'clock at night, and you don't get back home until one or two, you know, it makes for a stressful uh, series. Yeah, I can imagine that uh, makes the ball feel a little heavier in your hand <laughs> the next does. day. Paul, the uh, my story has to do with a commuter trip. Okay, um, we were going to Burlington. This was one of the first days I was even with the Chiefs in Peoria, and we actually had a Chiefs bus. It had, like, Chiefs logos and all that, all the painting, whatever you want to call it. Um, And also it was a small bus to begin with because there was, like, a bar area in the back, so we were all doubled up anyway. As you can ask these guys, uh, seating is a huge thing. People want to have their own seat, but... On this bus, you pretty much everyone had to, to double up. Yeah, a little buddy system. So we had the commuter. It was a day game. We were coming back. I think it was Sunday. And it was one of those hot, humid Midwest days. And what do you know? The AC was not working. Two-hour drive. Felt like four. But at the end of it, people had their shirts off. People were fanning <laughs> themselves with pizza boxes. Everyone was sweating. And it was just miserable. And uh, I never want to go through that again. <laughs> Yeah, well, something tells me that you might have to experience something like that yeah. again. Especially it's definitely going to happen again. There, there you go. go. <laughs> you got a few more of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. You have that to look forward to, as well as an eventual big league promotion. And and here's hoping I'm knocking on the, our uh, conference room table that the three of you get that call much, much sooner than later. Gentlemen, thank you so much for sitting down with me and opening up 
we are now done with opening up Bowman Baseball. <laughs> How fitting. Guys, thank you very much, and best of luck in the Arizona Folly to you two, and Paul, to next season. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome. Thanks, Alec. Thanks for listening to Tops Talk, and we hope you hear us again soon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Tops Talk. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at topstalk at tops.com. Special thanks goes out to Clay Lurasky and Leanne Minutoli, Mike Salerno, Aaron Wilkerson, Todd Hankins, Paul DeYoung, and Burton Rocks. This has been Episode 6 of Topstalk.